The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to turn back this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And some of our previous messages have really been introducing and building up to getting back to this verse, uh, focusing on healing our land, the, the need for spiritual healing in the kingdom of God. If, if God sends a drought, if he sends famine, if he sends locust, we considered last week the purpose of that. If God's people are in prosperity and very comfortable if we have plenty to eat and the rain is coming uh, at the appropriate times and we have plenty in the cupboard, then we are prone to forget the Lord and the Lord warned of that uh, even before it even happened with his people in the Old Testament. So therefore, to try to get his people's attention, God may see fit to remove a little bit of that prosperity. So... Uh, when he does that, the purpose of that is to get our attention so we can have our eyes open, that we can be introspective, and the Lord can give us guidance on the, uh, on the ways in which uh, we need to repent to serve the Lord more fervently. And I, I do want to remind you that much of the Old Testament is God's interactions with the natural nation of Israel speaking in a natural way with the judgments and the effects being natural, but obviously our New Testament kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, right? So when we're talking about this, we're talking about a spiritual kingdom. We're talking about a spiritual drought. We're talking about a kingdom drought, a kingdom famine. And then he also addresses locust here as well. Second Chronicles chapter 7, and you remember that this is God's response this is God's response to Solomon's prayer in the previous chapter. Solomon knew the word of God well enough to know that God promised, if you're obedient, I'm going to send you rain. If you're obedient, I'm going to allow your crops to prosper instead of sending locusts. But Lord, if we, if we make a mistake in the future, Lord, please be gracious. Please forgive us. And the Lord heeded the prayer of Solomon and said, yes, I will do that. If you, if I feel the need uh, to send judgment if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We know the verse well, right? Then I will hear from heaven. I will, I will listen and I'll send revival and I will heal their land. So remember that the, uh, the language that the Lord uses here is the language that uh, Solomon introduced in his prayer to God that comes from First of all, Leviticus 26, and then secondly, Deuteronomy 28, when he made those promises to the Lord's people prior to them entering into the promised land, okay? Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, 
or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be opened, shall be opened, and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. So he says in verse 13, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, that's talking about a drought. And if a drought goes on long enough, there would inevitably be famine, right? Drought, famine. And then if there's anything left, if there's anything left that some crops do come up, then I will also command the locusts to devour the land. Anything that's left, I'm going to have the locusts take care of it. Or if I send pestilence among my people. So the first that we would like to focus on this is, uh, is drought. Verse 13, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Probably the most prevalent example of this is uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And um, this is focusing on the northern nation of Israel. Okay, so this is after the divided kingdom, the southern tribes of Judah. And now we have Ahab. And as you probably know, Ahab married a wicked woman named Jezebel. Okay? It really matters who you marry, right? <laughs> Ahab was a bad guy, but it actually says that much of the evil that he uh, did was because Jezebel provoked him to do it. Okay? Now, they were a tag team, no doubt. I mean, they were both complicit. But Jezebel came from a pagan nation and uh, she openly worshipped Baal. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. And she corrupted Ahab even more. And as it says many times in this narrative, she stirred up Ahab to do many things. So anyway, Ahab continues in the pattern. If you know the history of the northern tribes of Israel, the kingdom is split in the days of Rehoboam. Jeroboam sets up an altar, uh, and they, the, all the northern kings to continue to perpetuate the, um, the sin of Jeroboam, okay? And he is worshiping false gods, and as you look at the history of Judah, you have highs and lows, you have a good king and you have a bad king, but the northern tribes, all you had was bad kings, okay? All you had was bad kings. But Ahab was right up at the top. But I want you to notice just how clearly this drought that ends up happening in the days of Elijah and in the, and in the reign of Ahab, how closely it is connected to their false worship and their idolatry, okay? So Ahab 
being stirred up by Jezebel, he goes and begins to serve Baal. This is at the end of chapter 16 of 1 Kings. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And in verse 34, he actually rebuilt Jericho. You remember Jericho? That the walls fell down and it was destroyed and, and there was a curse put on it? Well, he rebuilt it. He rebuilt Jericho. Okay? So this is the, the environment that, that Ahab is perpetuating of false worship and idolatry. And then in chapter 17, verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, which was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And notice, it, it, it talks in the, in the Old Testament about the early rain and the latter rain that is necessary for good crops. But God says, notice, I'm not even going to send dew. The dew in the morning. I'm not even going to send that. And this ends up happening for three and a half years. Now, even if we might be in the middle of a spiritual drought or spiritual famine, we are thankful for God's faithfulness to always provide for his faithful people in the midst of that. You know, we think about um, the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Laodicea. Laodicea, boy, they were in a spiritual drought. They were in a spiritual famine, but unfortunately they felt like that they weren't at all. They, they felt they were rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but the fact of the matter is they were in a, in a very uh, spiritually uh, dry state. Uh, but in the middle of that overall environment of Laodicea, God gives a promise, Jesus gives a promise that if any man will open the door, then I will come in and sup with him and he with me, you see. So even if the overall kingdom is struggling, God will always provide for his faithful children and Elijah goes and the Lord uh, provides for him with a raven to bring him food. And he had, for a time, he had water to drink by the brook Cherith, but he sends a raven to bring him food, uh, bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. Uh, I spoke a few years ago uh, on God's unlikely providences. And it's amazing that, that the Lord would use a raven to do this. You know, he didn't use a dove. Uh, he didn't use one of the clean animals. A raven is an unclean animal. But God used that to provide for his faithful servant even when the rest of the land was under judgment. And then God sends him, and the irony of this is so interesting. Uh, Jezebel, Jezebel, who later, after Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel, uh, she tries to kill Elijah. And then that's when he gets all upset and asks for the Lord to take his life and all that. But she is the daughter of the king of the Zidonians. Okay? And we know that God sends um, God sends Elijah to a widow, but notice where this widow is at. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. You know, that, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, sometimes the best place to hide is right in your enemy's backyard. 
uh, Jezebel, no doubt, and Ahab had a, had a decree uh, going out that you need to find Elijah so we can kill him. And where does the Lord send him? He sends him to a widow from Jezebel's hometown. <laughs> and miraculously, remember the story, right? She provides the last, uh, her last meal for her and her son to, um, to Elijah, and the Lord provides for them uh, for the whole time. The, uh, the cruise of oil and the barrel of meal did not fail that whole time, okay? Fast forward to chapter, uh, chapter 18. Then Elijah comes back on the scene, and he, um, he has this showdown with the 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. And, you know, beautiful story here. We won't look at the whole story. He dumps it all in water, and, which, I mean, this is amazing that they were using this much water uh, during a time of drought. You know, people would be like, Elijah, <laughs> this is important. We can't be dumping it on the middle of a, uh, on top of a, of an altar, you know, but he made the point. I think he dumped it with water maybe like three times with a trench. There was a, a moat all around it. Uh, just, just so you know, you know, things get dry enough and one little bitty spark can start a wildfire and burn down thousands of acres out, out in California, right? Well, there, there wasn't going to be any doubt that there's some little bitty spark that accidentally caught this because it's all dumped in water. Okay. Right. So then the Lord comes down and, and he sends fire from heaven. He consumes that. Uh, and the Lord powerfully manifests. And I love that Elijah is mocking these false gods. Oh, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. Yell a little bit louder. Catch your hands a little bit deeper. Uh, and then he, he's mocking them because they're, they're false gods, right? Uh, so then the Lord powerfully manifests uh, that he is the Lord, the only Lord and King of kings and Lord of lords. And he consumed the burnt sacrifice and all the wood and licked up all the water that was in the trench too. But I want you to notice what happened after this, okay? The people of Israel, not just the leadership, the, le the leadership had corrupted the people, okay? But the people were, wor were worshiping false gods too. And the people saw this in 1 Kings 18 and 39 when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. I mean, we, we've been worshiping Baal. That is a false God. Jehovah God is God, okay? And then they did not just make a public profession of that, but then Elijah says, you take all the false prophets of Baal and you go and you slay them. And they did that. They got rid of the false prophets. It, there's a purging that has to happen for uh, a drought to end in the kingdom of God. Now, I love how immediate this is, okay? For three and a half years, God hasn't sent rain. For three and a half years, God hasn't even allowed there to be dew in the morning when you come out. That God's people immediately repent. And what happens after God's people repent? You know, God said, I'll, I'll be listening. If you humble yourself and you pray and you turn, you have actions that change. You know, which, by the way, um, talk about healing the land. What needed to happen in Israel for the land to be healed? What needed to happen? They needed to quit worshiping Baal and they needed to get rid of the false prophets who were telling them to worship Baal. Okay, how did those two things happen? The people repented and the people got rid of the priests. See, 
That's what we're, Lord willing, building up to with Josiah. The way that Josiah healed the land is by him getting rid of the things that didn't need to be there, okay? But immediately when they do that, Elijah says, I hear the abundance of rain. I hear the abundance of rain. And then he tells a servant to go look seven times for that. And verse 45, it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went on to Jezreel. So immediately after God's people repented, what did God do? He ended the drought. You see that? Rain came down immediately after God's people repented. <clears throat> Let's go to the book of Haggai. Haggai. And I'll, I'll give you a few minutes to turn there. I know you may need to consult your index. I always get confused on the order of the minor prophets too. So uh, we're going to go be in quite a few of these minor prophets today. So make your way to Haggai. That's right after Zephaniah and right before Zechariah. So Haggai is some prophecies that are actually delivered in conjunction with the book of Zechariah. If you line up the months that they're given, you'll find that the prophecies in Haggai, especially the first few chapters of Zechariah, are kind of alternating chronologically um, with the prophecies that are given in Zechariah. So those books are companion books. But I want you to understand the, the environment in which the books of Haggai and Zechariah are delivered. So... Uh, this this uh, historical narrative is given more in the book of, of Ezra, but the uh, the temple has been destroyed from when God's people um, were sent into Babylonian captivity for seventy years. The reason why they were sent for seventy years was because you know God said, by the way, He said, um, you need to let the land rest every seventh year. They don't let the land rest for 70 years. And that's the exact time period that God sends them into Babylonian captivity. You know, God does not do things arbitrarily, right? God is consistent with his character. And I, and I love how he doesn't, uh, we're going to see this, Lord willing, at the end, uh, if we stay on track and make our way to the book of Joel. Uh, God will never overly punish, I guess, uh, our disobedience, he will he will simply give us exactly what we've earned. You know, uh, seventy years they disobeyed the Lord's commandment by not letting the land rest, and the Lord would have been righteous, like He did with the northern nation of Israel, to say, you know what, I'm just going to send them in captivity and let them be a lost people for forever. But no, what did He do? They they disobeyed for seventy years. So what did they do? They Received judgment for 70 years. Not, he didn't double it, right? He, did, he didn't punish them for 140 years. He didn't publish, punish them for 210 years, right? You're disobedient for 70 years. You're going to face judgment for 70 years. And after that, I'm going to send revival and restoration, okay? I love how consistent the Lord is in that character. Okay, so uh, the, the, nation, uh, the nation went into captivity. The temple's destroyed. And now... By the amazing working of the Lord on the heart of Cyrus, he allows them to go back and they return, okay? They return and they kind of start working on the temple a little bit, 
But then Satan stirs up the enemies of God and the enemies of the Israelites. And then the government issues a decree that says you can't work on rebuilding the temple. Okay? You know, there comes a time where you have to obey God rather than man. But they get a little bit nervous. They get a little bit afraid. And, oh, the government said we can't rebuild the temple. The king said we can't rebuild the temple. So what they say here, this is in Haggai chapter 1 and in verse 2, this people say the time is not come that the Lord's house should be built. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing how the Lord's people in certain areas, it seems like we revert back to absolutism. You know, we, we're definitely not absoluters in practice that God has predetermined all events before the foundation of the world. But for some reason, we're absoluters in church growth, right? If the Lord wants them here, uh, then the Lord will add to his church as he sees fit. Well, the Lord adds to his church uh, if we're doing the right things to have the right environment to, to necessitate growth. Uh, and here, God's people are saying, well, it's just not time for us to build the Lord's house because the government said we can't. I mean, King Darius said we can't do it. We're going to get in trouble with the government. Uh, so it's, it's clearly not the Lord's will for us to, uh, to build the Lord's house because the government said we can't. The time's not come to do this. Okay, I understand being maybe a little bit nervous for, you know, for six months or a year. The problem is they went 15 years without doing anything. Okay, so I want you to understand, this is the environment um, that Haggai was delivered in, that God's people... And this is not that the, the church building needed a new door or needed a new toilet or something. This is that the house was destroyed, okay? And they neglected building the Lord's house back for 15 years, and they used the government as an excuse for not doing it, okay? Um, I'm trying to, I've, I've been trying to think of an applicable... Again, not just repairs that are neglected, but um, but a house being destroyed and then being neglected. Um, back in, I think it was December of last year, Dawson Springs Church in Dawson Springs, Kentucky, was hit with a tornado, and it was it wasn't totally flattened, but it was significantly damaged to where they weren't able to meet in that building. They focused on the community. The Lord richly blessed with Jeff Winfrey's the pastor up there. Richly blessed that whole story. And they ministered to the community, and, and the Lord opened a lot of doors. Uh, I love that um, these uh, the primitive Baptists across the nation certainly supported Dawson Springs Church very heavily. Uh, but in the middle of that, there was a, a group of probably 20 or 30 Amish men that showed up unrequested, and after a day's work of those Amish men, they had repaired the roof of the church, and they didn't receive anything for it. You know, that, that's how the Lord works mightily, right? Now, I want you to just envision, let's say if you were in their shoes, or Lord forbid if a uh, tornado hit this building, or you're in the shoes of the people up in Dawson Springs, Kentucky, okay? Well, I understand the next day you may not be able, you know, you got to deal with insurance. You, you have to uh, have some logistical things. Uh, but after like, you know, six months or a year, you really should be looking at rebuilding the Lord's house if it's if it's a heap and it's rubble, okay? 
So then, you know, not just one year, two years, 15 years later, that church that's been destroyed with a tornado, no, no work's been done on it? Okay, now let's fast forward and see the environment, though. It's not just that these people were lazy, because they weren't lazy. <laughs> they were building onto their own houses. They had lost sight of, in a New Testament sense, seeking first the kingdom of God and the, and the house of God being the highest priority in our life. How, what a bad witness it would be. What a very poor witness it would be for these people that were Israelites to say, oh yeah, we love Jehovah God. We, we, we want to worship Jehovah God. Okay, okay, great. Um, where do you go worship on, at that time on the Sabbath day? Well, actually, the place we worship has been destroyed. Oh, really? Did that happen recently? That, that's really horrible. But, well, it's been, been 15 years ago. Um, but, but actually, come, come uh, have dinner with me at my house because I just had a new addition. And we just, redid, we, we just redid my kitchen at my house. Anyone that heard that would be like, wait a minute. <laughs> Something's wrong, right? If you're adding on to your own house... And, and, the, and God's house is sitting in a rubble, but you say that, that the kingdom and the, and the Lord's house is the highest priority, anyone that hears that is going to say, that, that's a disconnect. That doesn't make sense, right? Clearly, the house of the Lord is not your highest priority if you've allowed this, this house to sit in rubble for 15 years, okay? And you're adding on to your own house. Look at my new remodeled kitchen, you know, in our New Testament sense. Uh, clearly there's a disconnect there, okay? But God's people were saying, oh no, the time's not come because the government still said we can't, okay? <clears throat> the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. <clears throat> okay, beginning in verse three. <clears throat> Haggai chapter one. <clears throat> then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, it is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, but this house lies waste. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know, you are putting a higher priority on your own house, but yet there's a drought, but yet you're working so hard with uh, sowing this stuff in the field, but for some reason your harvest isn't coming in, but yet for some reason you can't connect the dots. Uh, for some reason you just think it, this is arbitrary. He says, consider your ways. You have sown much. I mean, I know you work really hard during planting time, but for some reason, we don't have much when harvest time comes. I wonder why. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you are not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. In other words, you're never satisfied. You're never content. You're never content. Ye clothe you, but you're not warm, and you earn wages, and you earn wages to put it into a bag with holes in it. So let me get my money, <laughs> but for some reason you don't understand. You're putting your money in a bag where there's a hole of it that half the money's going to be gone, and why is there a hole there? Now, I understand the Lord is not the author of sin. God does not cause, actively cause. But you know what? He can definitely suffer a hole to be at the bottom of that bag. <laughs> he may not be the one that cuts, the, cuts the, the hole out of the bottom of the bag, 
But he can sure enough suffer that hole to be in the bottom of the bag for the purpose of you saying, where'd the rest of my money go? <laughs> Man, I worked really hard planting those crops. Why is nothing coming up? That's the times that we should receive the message of the prophet and say, consider your ways. Okay, now he goes on to say, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. I mean, what's the remedy for this? What's the remedy for this? Get busy doing what you should have been doing 15 years ago, right? You're making excuses. And you're saying, oh, the time's not come. And you're blaming the government. You just need to go up to the mountain, chop some wood, and build the house that you should have been building the whole time. I mean, there's not necessarily anything wrong with you dwelling in a sealed house. There's not necessarily anything wrong with you redoing your kitchen. But if the Lord's house is sitting in rubble, then we must have our priorities out of line, okay? Now, I want you to notice how personally the Lord takes this and how he uses first-person pronouns, okay? This, these, are not, these are not random events, okay? Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. When you brought it home, I did blow on it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because mine house is waste, and you have run every man to his own house. Now, this is where we get to drought. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. Now, understand there are periods of time where, you know, you may have a bad season, you may have a bad year, but when you get past one year, and you get into the second year and the third year, then that's not a season, that's a drought, okay? Where did this drought come from? The Lord takes credit for it. I called for a drought. Why, why, why is our harvest not coming to fruition? Because the Lord said, I called for a drought. Why? Because you've got your priorities misaligned. I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains, and upon the corn. And we're talking about healing the land, right? Okay? There's a drought, but if the, if the crops, I mean, the Lord can obviously, you know, he can bring water out of a rock, right? The Lord can make uh, crops grow even with no water in a miraculous way. But the way he typically works, right, is that crops need water to thrive. So I called for a drought, and upon the mountains, and, up, and I want you to notice how this focuses on the land, but it's not just about the land, okay? Upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth. And notice this, I called a drought not just upon the land, not just upon the crops. I called a drought upon men. I called a drought on the people, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of their hands. You know, so this is not just about crops anymore, right? This is about people. This is about people. Now, what ends up happening is that Zerubbabel, who was a leader of the people, and he is, he's one that should have been leading the people the whole time. He got a little complacent too, but he receives the message. And the rest of the chapter says, essentially, that they, it says in verse 14, I think Zerubbabel understood, I'm supposed to be the leader of the people here, and he, and he understood that he had failed in leading them, and the Lord stirred up, verse 14, the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, 
and the spirit of all the people. And they came and did work in the house uh, of the Lord of hosts, their God. You know, it's just that simple, right? The Lord shows you, consider your ways. There's a reason why you're having this drought. They repent, and guess what? They've said the whole time, oh, it's not time for the Lord's house to be built. I wonder when the time's going to come. They hear a message, they repent. Next thing you know, oh, wait a minute, this house is built. How did it get built? With our hands, you see? They had the ability to build the house the whole time. They just didn't, okay? Now, let's focus on famine. If we have drought for a long enough time period, inevitably, famine will come. In um, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, this is a verse that's always stung me and really stood out to me. That It says here in 2 Samuel chapter 21 that there was a famine in the days of David for three years. You know, once we get past that one-year mark, we really need to take the message of Haggai and start considering our ways. There was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And God asked the Lord, why? Why is this happening? And the Lord answered and said, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So I want you to understand, there was a famine in the days of David because of the sins of of somebody else, okay? There was a famine in the days of David because of the sins of somebody else. When Josiah finally realized, uh, if you look at the life of Josiah and the different benchmarks, he, he, took, uh, he took rule when he was age eight, and there's certain things he did at a, at a younger age that were, I guess you could say, internal convictions, but he did not yet have the word of the Lord. But then when he finally had the word of the Lord, and they read such as what was in Deuteronomy 28. And the Lord said, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. If you don't do this, I'm going to judge you and chastise you. When he realized that, and he realized the state of the kingdom because of the sins of Manasseh, his father, and so many others that went before him, when he realized that, he said, I want to get the language right. You don't, you don't have to turn here. Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 21. This is what Josiah said when he realized the reason we're at where we're at is because of the sins of other people. Okay? Not me directly. We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. But I'm not in the state I'm in today solely because of me. Josiah said... Go inquire of the Lord in hopes that he would be gracious. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. We cannot always control the circumstances that we inherit, right? I've seen this so much in, in the workplace. <laughs> I've inherited some situations that were a mess and I did the best that I could and, the, and at the end of the day, there are certain limitations that I don't have the ability and the autonomy uh, to change everything and make it the way it ought to be. The only, the best you can do at any given time is do the very best you can in the circumstances you're in 
with the cards you've been dealt. Okay? That's all you can do. You can't control that. You can't control what you inherit. But just like Josiah, you can control what you do when you're notified there's an issue. And you can control your actions. You can't control what actions have happened in the past that have got us to where we're at today. I can only control my actions today. And we've talked at Macedonia. I mean, we haven't had a baptism here in 16 years. And I inherited, that's seven years of me, so I'm, I'm just as culpable as anybody. But spanning two pastors, nine years, no baptisms, previous to me being here. And when I arrived, we had a very significant issue that we had to deal with. And that was, that was difficult for everybody in the church. And I hope we've healed, we've healed from that. But, you know, we cannot expect, and we shouldn't expect, with that kind of an issue going on, that the Lord would have blessed us abundantly. We, we should not have expected that. And I've prayed many times, and I don't know the full extent of this, and I hope y'all receive this with the way, hopefully, Lord willing, I'm delivering it. Um, I love the church, and I love you, and I'm just as much of the problem as, as anybody. But we have to realize that God is not mocked. God is not mocked. What we sow, that shall we also reap. And there are things that we all make mistakes in on a daily basis. But there are things that have happened in the past that God was severely dishonored in. And I hope the Lord will be gracious. I hope he will be gracious. But it shouldn't be surprising if we're in the middle of a spiritual drought if certain things like that were happening for a period of time. Now, we dealt with it. Six years ago, we dealt with it. And we have rectified that issue, Okay. But we have to respond appropriately when we are aware of issues. And at the end of the day, we have to just say, Lord, please be merciful unto us. You know, remember that we're but dust. We're all going to make mistakes. And some mistakes are more severe than others. But you know what? There is not a single sin individually or within the body of the local church or within the kingdom as a whole. Aren't you glad that he didn't put exceptions? He didn't put exceptions in Second Chronicles chapter 7? I'm willing, to, I'm willing to forgive except for these five sins. No. What, what's, what's the testimony of God? If you repent, I will hear from heaven. I will heal the Lord. That's the promise of God. He didn't put exceptions and say, these are the unpardonable sins. You want to know what the unpardonable sin is? <laughs> Perpetual lukewarmness that, and, and uh, forgetting your first love. Those are the things that the Lord was, uh, was threatening to take away the candlestick for. Those are the sins that the Lord will pull the plug on. Okay. But if we respond appropriately and hear what the Lord uh, is delivering to us through his word, God's promise is that I will heal the land. But I also want us to understand the way he heals the land is through our hands, through our feet, through our actions, okay? 
So there was a famine in the days of David because of the sins of Saul. You know, David couldn't control that. But what he did was he made restitution. He made restitution for it, okay? Kind of an interesting restitution in my mind, but uh, actually seven sons of Saul were slain because of this, okay? That's, the, that's many times the way the Lord dealt in the Old Testament, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? So God, Saul slew these people, and there were seven people, uh, seven sons of the house of Saul that were slain. There was restitution made. There was repentance and there was restitution. And I want you to notice what happens immediately after restitution was made. You see, this is how the Lord deals with his people. There is famine in the days of David because of the sins of somebody else. David's notified. He makes restitution. He makes repentance. And in verse 14, it says, and after that, God was entreated of the land. Isn't that, isn't that simple, right? You're notified. You've realized the need for repentance. You make appropriate restitution, and the Lord removes the drought. The Lord removes the famine. That's how he deals with his people. Okay, um, before we go to the book of Amos, I want to highlight um, 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And this is only a few chapters after what we've been reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, right? The pinnacle of the nation of Israel. Uh, Solomon had peace on every side, uh, unrivaled prosperity. The, the riches that were in the temple of God were just innumerable. I mean, I mean, just millions of dollars of gold and silver in that, in that temple of Solomon. It's just amazing how the Lord was blessing his people at that time with peace and prosperity. They were worshiping Jehovah God, but unfortunately the same man begins the spiral effect and the slippery slope that led them down to sin, okay? But what's so sobering about this, and I've heard, I've heard ministers say this many times, but it's so true. The church is always only one generation away from dying. The church is always only one generation away from dying. Now, don't focus on the negative. Don't be a party pooper. You're, the church is only one generation away from thriving. You see? <laughs> but the way that we live today affects the people in the future. You know, Saul, I, he was not a very godly man and did not was not aware of that, but his actions affected the next generation, didn't it? His, his actions affected the reign of David. And that's why it's so important that we raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that we talk of them, talk of the Word of God when we walk by the way in every area of life. We, we need to raise up, you know, it says many times in the, in the book of the Psalms, tell the next generation of all these things that the Lord has done so they are established, so they know them, okay? But it is so sobering that it went from this pinnacle of Judah, and you have the wisest man on the face of the earth, and you have riches, and you have peace, and you have prosperity, and just, if you look at the chronology of the nation of Judah, about 40 years later, and in the Bible, 40 years is typically a generation, okay? 40 years later, I want you to notice the state of the people of God. Only 40 years after the pinnacle of the kingdom was Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 15 and in verse 3, 
Now, this is when Asa, who was a good king, he did his best to send revival in his day. Asa takes the reign of the kingdom of Judah, and the prophet told him in verse 2, The Lord is with you while you be with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. And if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, notice this state of Judah at this time, only 40 years removed from the reign of Solomon. Now, for a long season, Israel had been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. Just 40 years after Solomon. That's it. For a long season, they did not know. And, and what's so sad, especially we, look, we see this with Josiah, he had an internal conviction of the laws written in his heart, but he literally did not know what the Word of God said because he didn't have access to the Word of God. What happens if parents don't teach their children the Word of God? In one generation, they don't know it. They don't know this is what the Bible says. Okay? By the way, one generation removed from that godly generation of Joshua that entered into the promised land, one generation removed. You want to know what started? The time of the judges. One generation removed. It says uh, during the time that Joshua and all that generation was alive, they followed the Lord. What happens one generation removed from Joshua? The time of the judges where man, and by the way, why did man only do what was right in his own sight during that time period? Why? They didn't know the word of God. Why didn't, know the, why didn't they know the word of God? Unfortunately, that generation got a little bit complacent. And they didn't teach them the way that they should have. Now, unfortunately, this is the testimony of God's people. <laughs> and it's true of me. I've certainly seen this in my own life the last two months. And it, and it is consistent of God's people all throughout the Old Testament. Now, they're deprived of real, intimate, close fellowship and devotion to the Lord but, in verse 4, but when they got in trouble, they turned to the Lord and they sought him and he was found of them. You know, aren't you glad for the last part of that though? I mean, it'd be very easy. Again, I, I, don't, I haven't walked the path of being a parent. But I, I love the beautiful picture of the prodigal son coming back to the father's house and the dad, the father, he didn't give him the 10th degree. He didn't chew him out and tell him, this is all the grief you've given me and your mother. He warmly received him back and killed the fatty calf for him, right? Even though we, even, even if we neglect the Lord for a long period of time, if, even if we're doing it for the wrong reason. God's so good to us, even if we're not necessarily doing it with all of the right motives at the moment. Now, you hope the right motives come in time, but in the moment, you may not even be doing it for the right reason. Man, this, uh, let's say if it's a medical illness. I hope, Lord, I know I maybe haven't been as devoted as I should, but Lord, how many people have you heard this kind of story of? I know I haven't been going to church. I know I haven't been doing everything that I should. But Lord, if you'll just bless me to get through this medical situation, after I get healthy, I promise I'm going to serve you. You've heard stories like that, right? The, pro the reason why they're doing that is not really because of, 
a sincere conviction of sin, really they're just wanting the pain to go away in the moment, right? They're wanting convenience in the moment. But God, even in that moment, even if, we, if he knows that our motives aren't perfect in the moment, God's still good enough to hear us and send the, hearing, uh, the, the, uh, the answer to our prayer, even if in the moment we may not be praying uh, with the right, aren't you glad that the that the Spirit of God makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered? Right? If we even if we pray a prayer for the wrong motives, the Holy Spirit can clean that up and bring it perfectly before Jesus, uh, to where the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit's always cleaning up our messes, but it, it it presents it perfectly before Jesus, even if in our in, as we're praying it, we're praying with incorrect motives. You see, these people. Think about it during the time of the judges. I mean, they really weren't that convicted that they weren't worshiping Jehovah God in the manner that they ought to. Really, they were just tired of those Midianites ransacking them all the time. I mean, we're tired of these enemies stealing our crops and, and, uh, and attacking us all the time. Lord, <laughs> they, I don't think they said, Lord... We have sinned against heaven and against thee. Lord, please. No, their prayer was, Lord, please get rid of these Midianites, <laughs> right? The point was get rid of the pressure point. But even in that, the Lord is so gracious and loving to his people that what did he do? He heard it and he sent him a judge to get rid of it, okay? So even if we cry to the Lord in our trouble, maybe even if we don't have the right motives, the Lord is still gracious to hear us. But just one generation removed, Solomon and a whole generation they'd never heard a a priest stand up and teach the word of God on the Sabbath you know that they had they were you know if this was the case they weren't observing the year of Jubilee and they they weren't observing the uh, the Sabbath rest of the land and all these other things they didn't know it because they weren't taught okay let's uh let's go to the book of Amos 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 chapter 8. <clears throat> Amos chapter 8. You really need to read the whole chapter to get a little bit more context, but we really don't have time for that. We're talking about who in the land, and it's interesting that the way that he um, harvest that is not as prosperous as it should be because of a drought, well, the Lord is teaching this lesson through a vision of a basket of summer fruit, okay? So he sees a vision of a basket of summer fruit, and then he's teaching the lesson of the famine. Skip down to verse uh, 10. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head. I will make it as the mourning of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That's what had happened in one generation, hadn't it? They weren't hearing the word of God. They had not even heard a teaching priest. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. 
Let's go to the book of Joel. Joel is right before Amos. Joel is right before Amos. Okay? Um, We'll read verse 4. That which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten. Okay, so you have a drought. You have famine. But even in the middle of famine, you're still going to have a few green leaves here and there. You're still going to have a little bit of harvest for a little bit. Well, the Lord says if my people continue to live in disobedience, I'm going to send the locusts to even get rid of that. We're not going to turn over there, but in Exodus chapter 10, I'm sure you remember one of the 10 plagues is the plague of locusts. And those locusts ate everything. They destroyed everything. Anything that was green it was totally gone by the time the Lord sent those locusts. Why did the Lord send those locusts? Because Pharaoh and the Egyptians were rebelling against the Lord, right? And the Lord says, not only am I going to send the locusts, but just in case the locusts miss anything, just in case the locusts miss anything, I'm going to make sure I send the palmer worm and the canker worm and the caterpillar to take care of it. Now, why is this happening? <laughs> You know, if, if all of a sudden we go from having really good crops to now locusts are coming out of nowhere. If, you, if you're an Old Testament Israelite, you don't typically see locusts. So there, there are some things that should be raising your eyebrows. You know, long periods of drought, long periods of famine. But when you start seeing locusts show up, you should realize that this is not natural uh, crop seasons going on right here, right? When you see locusts showing up, you should realize something higher than just crops is going on right here, okay? Especially when the locusts eat just about everything, and I don't know the difference between all these different ones, but when you see the canker worm and the palmer worm and the caterpillar and all that, when you see all them show up too, then you should realize, okay, the Lord is clearly trying to tell us something right here, right? Now, what's the remedy for this? What's the remedy for this? You know, I love how simple this is, but yet it's always so difficult. <laughs> what's, the, what's the remedy? What's the remedy? It's just simply repentance. It's simply repentance. He gets to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 12. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. That's the humility, right? What's the first step? Humble yourselves and pray. That's the humility. Now, don't just give the pretense of repentance. Rend your heart and not your garments. You know, there's some people back in the day, I know that when bad things happen, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to put on these dirty clothes. I'm supposed to put ashes supposed to wail and all this stuff. And he said, look, I'm not overly concerned about what you're wearing. I'm concerned about the posture of your heart. Okay? Now, there's not anything wrong with putting on those sackcloth and ashes, but you should only do that if that's a true reflection of the repentance of your heart. So rend your heart, not your garments, and turn, that's repentance, right? Turn from your wicked ways, going in the other direction, 180-degree turn, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. 
Now, when it says that there, God doesn't repent as man repents. God has an intention that if you do this, I'm going to do this, right? If then, obedience and disobedience, blessing or chastisement. And if you continue to choose disobedience, then, then by my character, I'm obligated to continue to send judgment. But if you repent, if you change your course of dealing with me, then God says, I'm happy to change my course of dealing with you. But if you don't, I'm going to continue to send judgment. But if you repent, I'm happy to send revival. I'm happy to send restoration. And how typically, how typically does God's, are God's people informed of this? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the people. Let the priest... There should be leadership. In today's, uh, in today's application, the pastors of the churches. Let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep before the porch and the altar. Spare thy people, O Lord. We all need to pray for God to, to forgive us, but it has to be the pastors that are leading that. Let's skip to... He says, he says I'm sending... This nation, I am sending the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to ransack your lands, to destroy your crops. But if you repent, I will take away that nation and I will send you corn and wine and oil. I will remove far from you the northern army. I've suffered this army to come and send judgment, but I'm going to remove the army. And then the summary of this, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The full, this, is, this is what happens when you sincerely repent. The floors shall be full of wheat, the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. You're just barely getting by right now, but you're going to have, you know, think about uh, Egypt and those seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine. You're going to be in the seven years of plenty where you're stocking up. But I love this promise of the Lord. Verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. Verse 27, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and none else. That's the whole purpose of why he sent judgment, right? Is so you can be reminded of what you already know that I'm Jehovah God. And I love how the Lord says, <laughs> if my people are not obedient, to bring them to repentance, I need to send the locust to devour the crop. But you know what? If they repent, that is not lost. If you'll let me talk like an accountant for a minute. That's not lost revenue. 
He says, everything you lost, I'm going to give it back to you. You see that? The years that the locust took away, I'm going to give it back to you. My, my intention is not for you to do without. My intention is to get your attention to bring you to repentance. You know, if, if three seasons, and this is, how, this is how good the Lord is to heap blessings on us when we repent. Think about, let's say if there was three whole harvests that was destroyed with locust. Three whole, three years worth of plenty. The Lord is saying that if you repent, I'm going to give you three years worth in one year. See that? If you repent, I'm going to give you everything I withhold. My intention is not to withhold blessings from you. Actually, they're all just waiting in store for you, and I'm going to dump them all on top of your head all at one time. <laughs> you know, isn't that good that, to say that these are blessings that are rightfully yours, and I'm not taking them away. They're just waiting for you to turn in the ticket of repentance so I can give you everything that's justly yours. <laughs> everything that you have been deprived of, it's sitting waiting on you. I just need to see some actions of repentance. And I'm going to give you everything that I withheld for a period of time. You see, isn't God so good to us? You know, I see myself, and I am not long-suffering. You know, suffering indicates being uncomfortable. And I don't like short suffering. You know, I don't like minimal periods of suffering. But I really don't like long suffering. Why? Because that means I've got to suffer <laughs> for a pretty extended period of time, you know? But despite my shortcomings in being long suffering and merciful, not giving someone what they do deserve, it's so, it's such a, <laughs> in my hopes of doing better, it's so encouraging to me to see how long suffering God is, Right? Because he's never going to reach the point where he says, you know, I'll give you five years, I'll give you 10 years, I'll give you 15 years, but when that prodigal son shows up on year 16, I'm turning him, turning him out. <laughs> Whenever that son shows up, he's going to be warmly received. Aren't you glad there's not a timetable on that? The only condition, the only condition is the posture of our heart. The only condition is repentance from the heart and a change of action that goes along with that. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.